you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining us once again is our pal and fellow network all star, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Thanks, Rob. I'm sorry. I got to put away my scissors. I was trying to build this diorama from the back of this treasury, and I'm just, I'm just not any good at it. I can't, <laughs> I can't cut around the scallops in Batman's cape with these scissors. Okay. I just can't do it. I don't know what kind of industrial strength scissors you would give to a child that that they could use to actually build one of those things because you cannot build those things with regular scissors. This is not not possible. <laughs> you need an exacto knife, and no no kid needs an exacto. No, <laughs> oh, I cut myself a bunch of times using it when I was an adult. So uh, right. anyway, <laughs> thanks for coming back. You you've been you've been on the show. I think at least once a year, every year since we've started. So, uh, you know, as the year was winding up, I have some other plans for a Christmas show this year, but I absolutely have to have you on. So I thought this will be perfect. And from people that are that already saw the show notes, what are we talking about? It's called the treasuries that never were. So this is something I've been wanting to get to almost since the beginning of the show six, seven years ago at this point, which is as I became not only a collector of treasury editions, I became a, sort of a scholar of them and, and I really dug deep into the history of the format and I found little odds and ends of, you know, what publisher that tried to do it in this format or whatever. We talked about like tops, that, that weird thing that came that Charles Biro put out in the forties. So mm-hmm. I, and, and over time, mostly through issues of, you know, either old columns like answer man columns or uh, amazing world of DC comics issues, I would find like, oh, look at this. This was, there was the, they, you know, DC had a treasury that they were going to do and then they never did it. Or what happened to this thing? Or, you know, oh, look, this material got used for something else. And there's enough of them that I was like, it would be fun to do a whole show just talking about the treasuries that never were. And so that's what Chris and I are going to be doing. And, you know, I don't have to have any reason to have you on, Chris, but I also know that like, like me, and of course, you and I are both were you you are currently I was professional graphic designers. We have a certain interest in the nitty gritty of reusing artwork, repurposing yeah. things. That's that's something you and I are both very familiar. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I spend hours trying to find on toys like where did this artwork come from? You know, mm-hmm. and, and be the uh, comic book Columbo. You know, and, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. It's for a lot of people. They don't care. You know what I mean? It just doesn't matter. Just give me the book. I want to read it. But for, for you and I, nerds like that, we're kind of like, oh, this is fascinating. Like this thing is you. So I just thought it was, it was a perfect marriage of guest and subject. And so I'm very glad to have you here. So we have to, we're going to start. By the way, we're going to have some of the images, of course, for, for some of these, uh, treasuries that never were on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. But we got to start kind of with the big one, which is action comics 
number 500. And I know, I feel almost as long as I've known you, Chris, you are an advocate for this particular issue, right? Right. I mean, it's kind of weird because I remember the house ad for this comic. I really wanted it, but I was only four and a half years old when it was published. <laughs> and Michael Bailey's like just slapping his forehead, you know, he's like, he had comics out of the womb. I know. But uh, if if I didn't see it when I was out with my mom, I didn't get it, you know, so I, I, I missed this. Uh, so I had to wait a few years, but ironically, uh, you know, I got it in a tiny format in the Tor black and white paperback size reprint of it. <laughs> it's called the Superman story, and it was released in 1983. So, you know, I, and that became like what the the untold legend of the Batman was, which also was released in that format. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. Superman book was like the Superman version of that to me. You know, that was like the, my little mini my little mini mini Bible of, of Superman and Batman, because it told their whole backstory, you know, and it was, it, you know, oh, so Clark made his glasses from the, the, the canopy of his rocket. That's why he could use his heat vision, you know, and his, 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 his boots were made from the upholstery of his, uh, the seat in his rocket, you know, and things like that. <laughs> it's, it's a really fun story. And if, there is a there's an answer man column like I, like I just mentioned where bob rosakis talks about that dc is going to be putting together what they call superman's life story as a tabloid edition and as is the case with a couple of these uh dc at a certain point decided they were going to stop doing original treasury editions and kind of you know basically turn the treasury format into kind of just like Sort of what Marvel did was sort of like, not licensing, DC didn't do licensing, but like they did like the Superman movie album. So it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was a treasury, but it was more like a, you know, one of those movie magazines you bought. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Superman versus Muhammad Ali or stuff like that. And so they ended up, I think they realized at some point along the line, well, wait a minute, we've got all this material. It's drawn by Kurt Swan. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's it's a straight ahead Superman story. And they must have been looking at the schedule and saying, well, geez, we're probably only like about 18 months out from Action Comics number 500. So <laughs> let's just run it in that. And that's and, and ended up what they did. Now, one of the things I'm always fascinated by is like when you see a book that you knew was meant to be a treasury, and then it isn't. You can look at it and say, boy, what would this have looked like at a larger size? Now, first off, the cover, the wraparound cover. Uh, who, do, who is it? Is that just Giordano or is it? Or is oh, it, Ross or is it and it's Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it features, you know, those po- you know, Superman and Lois and Supergirl. And it's got this marvelous serpent featuring all these old covers behind it. It's an absolutely gorgeous cover. And you could you look at that and you go, yes, that's what the that's what the Treasury Reprint cover would have looked like. And it's it's just such a loss that you were not going to get to see it. Not only did I not get to see it at Treasury, you got to see it. Even smaller, which is like that much more of a painful, <laughs> painful concept. Yeah, it, it it was. And I finally, of course, I finally got a copy not that many years ago, but I finally got a copy of Action 500. And it's it's kind of funny to think, like, what if they I, I know this would have this would have dro- driven some people insane. But what if they actually published this Action 500 as a treasury? Oh, no. So four ninety nine and five hundred one are regular size comics, but Action Five Hundred is a treasure. The gnashing of collectors' teeth all can be heard all over the world, Chris. You can't, <laughs> you can't have that. No, my collection did not compete. 
I can't yeah. fit number 500 in my long box now. You I can't was wondering now. if you had a box, a comic uh, long box. It actually came out about, you know, about four inches wider and about, <laughs> you know, two inches, you know, seven inches taller or something, you know, it's like yep. in one section or something. <laughs> That would have been heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, yeah no, that just, I, I remembered even, you know, I never cared about that stuff that much, but I do remember when Adventure Comics got restarted in the 80s after yeah. it got canceled and it came back as a digest. And I was like, that's weird. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> that's weird. Like, why, why are the rest of the adventures, the, the Central Comics at the same time? So, why are you such a big fan of this particular comic? I, it, it literally is. It's it's because you know it filled in all the blanks. Like for me, like I, I was. It's kind of like we've. I think it's been discussed on the network before. I I you know because I was a big fan of Superman the movie, and and because uh, you know of the Adventures of Superman TV series, I kind of had a weird relationship with the concept of him being Superboy when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, I read the new adventures of Superboy. I read the Superboy strip when it was in Superman family. So I enjoyed those stories and I liked learning about, you know, like the, you know, how, how is, you know, how they come up with his, uh, you know, the Kents came up with his S and, you know, what they made his costume out of and, and, you know, what, uh, you know, about how he developed the tunnel that went from underneath his, you know, house and all that cool stuff. And then, you know, I mean, there was a whole bit where, you know, in this comic book, spoiler warning for, you know, 40 some year old comic, but Lex Luthor clones Superman. And mm-hmm. while they're going, you know, while Superman's basically giving a tour of, of, of this new Superman museum, you know, he clones them and he's basically like, you know, implanting Superman's memories as he's telling this, uh, the crowd, the story, you know, into this clone. So he's basically, you know, giving this clone like false Superman memories, which is kind of crazy. I mean, this is after Spider-Man already fought and threw his clone down a, you know, smokestack or whatever, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that never come back to bite him in the ass. No, no. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but uh, so I, it was just, it was just one of those cases. Like, you know, I, I was a, I, I was a kid that, and I still do. I mean, you know, you and I both have written for Backish. We write for Dan Greenfield's 13th Dimension. I love the history of the characters. And even as a little kid, I mean, the, I, I just love getting all this information in my little, you know, my little pocket, you know, tour paperback. And little did I know it was meant to be like, you know, 10 times that size or whatever it would be. Not 10, but, you know, much, much larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew this came probably from Action 500, I think, because I remember that cover. But you know, it's it's just I, I don't know. It's one of those DC was really great about that at the time. They did Untold Legend of the Batman. They did uh, Flash number three hundred. They did Wonder Woman three hundred, which it wasn't quite so much as like a history. They did uh, World's Finest two seventy one, I think, which was the anniversary issue of the World's Finest team. Mm-hmm. Did the history and all that. And I just I loved that DC was like kind of going through the history of the characters. Just a few years before they threw everything out the window with crisis. So. <laughs> let's not, let's not go down that road, Chris. <laughs> we'll both be waiting, shaking our hands at uh, at clouds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think about when I was looking at it again? Like the one thing, and I know that you like my feelings about Kurtzwan. We everyone knows. I know you're a bigger fan than me, and I'm not. I'm not going to bash Kurtzwan, but I am. I always, and one of the things we will be considering as across the various treasuries that never were is did the artist take advantage of the format 
like did you know did, i mean obviously not everybody knew this thing was maybe going to be a treasure or whatever but in this case they did it was scheduled to be that and then it got repurposed did you think that kurt swan did anything particularly treasury-ish if that makes sense i think he drew the panels i don't think he took advantage of it as much as somebody like ross andrew with the the you know the spider superman spider-man treasury or or rich buckler in the superman versus shazam or anything like that i don't I don't think he took it to a widescreen like, you know, format so much, but the panels are bigger. You know, there's more pan, there's less panels per page uh, in this comic than your average Superman comic, you know, drawn by Kurt Swan for the most part, I think. And like, you know, the page where uh, chapter two, where the rocket is blasting away from Krypton. I mean, that would look pretty impressive, you know, in a, in a treasury right Mm -hmm. there. I mean, it's coming at you. It's almost 3d. There are some pages where he took more advantage of it than others. There's a page where he's walking through the museum and you see a giant statue of Superman in the foreground and things like that. So he did kind of he did kind of go widescreen a little bit here and there, but not to the extent of some of those other artists. And it's, you know, that's just kind of Kurt Swan's style. It's a quieter, you know, more illustrative style. And those guys, you know, are a little more you know, bombastic and, you know, and, and like we've said before, Ross Andrew with his crazy akimbo anatomy, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, but, but uh, yeah, you know, somebody probably, somebody else probably could have like pushed it, you know, in that direction more, but it would have taken away the legitimacy of Kurt Swan not drawing it, yeah, you know, because right. Kurt Swan's been drawing Superman at this point already since the late 1940s. So unbelievable. And, it, it, it's funny too, because like you know, he was drawing the regular title, and and yet this book is sixty four pages long, and he kind of reminds me of Dick Dillon, where it's like there seemed to be no upper limit to how many pages he could do. You know, like DC was like, "Hey, we need this month, we need sixty four pages instead of thirty two. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like yeah. the issues before and after are not by Kurt Swan; they are. So it's just like he just was like, "All right, I'll just do more." Like okay like all right it's good right good at scheduling and, and around this time he drew like a superman pop-up book that i've got and things mm-hmm. like that you know i mean he drew other superman projects for you know outside of course there was a lot of superman projects going on because of the success of the films so you know the, he was he was busy you know and there's a i've got a how to draw superheroes uh it's basically like a coloring book it was put out by golden and it's um it's Kurt Swan telling you how to draw Superman, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, he, he was, bu- he was very busy, but yeah, he always had time. Uh, yeah. It's just, those guys were workhorses. I think they were still under the, the idea of, man, if I don't produce 150 pages a month, they might let me go, you know? <laughs> mm. It's amazing. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing. And, you know, one of the other things we're not going to go through with every one of these is like, should this have been a treasury? Because the answer is yes. They all should have been tre- like. I wish yeah. there was double the amount of treasuries that DC and Marvel ever made. My shelf here contains probably a hundred, one hundred twenty-five treasuries that were ever made. I wish that was double the length. I wish DC had done two. You know, so the answer is yes to every one of these. That that said, this this combined with as you just mentioned the untold legend of the Batman, like those, I those would have been naturals. For treasury editions, you know they're the two biggest yeah. characters. They're they are origin stories, you know, and it is it's such a weird thing that DC was just like, nah, I think we're going to stop 
stop doing these. It just seems such a strange thing. And it's, it's, it's a more than anything else, that cover. I really wish I could see that wraparound cover. Cause it's, it's so perfect for that format. So yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I'm glad that the material didn't get scrapped. Like it has in other cases, like we'll get to in the very next instance, but at the, you know, at, at least it exists as number 500 for that at least. Right. And it's kind of interesting. I think that um, one, if they've done it as a treasury, it probably would have been other Superman covers, you know, from Superman, Superboy, World's Finest, mm. maybe adventure, not just action, you know, but it, it, the weird thing is, is this, this comic's kind of forgotten. I mean, it's not on the DC Universe Infinite app. I'm not sure really. Wow. Oh, no, because I went to look for it there and I'm like, really? It skips from like sometime in the 70s up until like the first appearance of Vixen. That's what it jumps to. Uh, in a few few years in the early 80s so it's really strange and it's like you know yeah this is like this is the most complete telling of the earth one superman's backstory that there is and it's kind of a shame that it's not you know readily available it hasn't as far as i know it hasn't been reprinted it may have but i had i didn't really look on mike's amazing world to see if it was reprinted somewhere else but uh it's kind of a shame that it's not you know, out there, you know, I mean, Man of Steel, the John Byrne miniseries has been probably reprinted 150 times now, and <laughs> you know, which is, it deserves to be. I'm not saying that it's that, you know, it, this wasn't a huge epoch making change in the character, but at the same time, it's, it's the, it's the life. It literally is the life story of Superman up to this point. And I think it deserves a little more, a little more love. And, and we should probably mention, you know, that uh, you know, it it was you know, it was kind of funny. I like you said. I wonder, Julius Schwartz, of course, was the editor. What did he have planned for Action Five Hundred if this wasn't it? Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and Martin Pasco is you know, unfortunately, no longer with us, but he did a fantastic job. It's well written, and uh, it's a fun comic. So if you haven't ever read read Superman in Five Hundred, you have to dig through the back issue bins apparently, or go find that tour paperback at like, you know, half price books or something. But it's worth your time. <laughs> absolutely it is so okay well the next one this is a big loss and this is the king arthur all original treasury edition written by jerry conway and drawn by nestor redondo and this got so far uh in the in the production process that dc actually ran an ad for it mm-hmm. in their books and we even talked about that a, a couple of years ago when we did um Sean Ross and Greg Arujo and I did the DC ads episode. We talked about this ad because I remember seeing this half page ad in a million DC comics of the seventies. And I kept wondering, where can you get this thing? Uh, you know, I've never seen it. Well, it's because it never got published. And back when I was researching it through the, um, the aforementioned amazing world of DC comics issues, you could see it kept getting mentioned every issue and kept getting pushed back. You know, they were like, hey, we've got Jerry Conway and Nestor Redondo and editor Joe Orlando working on this King Arthur all original treasury edition. It's going to come out in the summer. It's going to come out in the fall. It's planned for Christmas sometime next year. You're like, what is happening? And at some, it, it is, a, it was another victim of DC deciding we don't want to do these. We don't want to pay for these things anymore. So they scrapped it. They scrapped the entire thing. And that that makes no sense to me in that they had to have paid Nestor Redondo for the artwork that he did. And I would think that I don't know how many more pages were left. And you, by the way, you can see some of them on the gallery post and 
They have fallen into the hands of collectors, including a black and white stat of the cover, the painted cover that Nestor Redondo did. I can't imagine that they had so many pages left that it wasn't worth it to just finish it off. It, as opposed to say simply taking the artwork, burying it in a one of those filing cabinets, and literally never using it again. That this is baffling that DC just killed this thing. This this may have been the reason why DC fits so well in with Warner Brothers, given <laughs> their proclivity for taking you know <laughs> well produced material and just shoving it in a canister and locking it away. Uh, Maybe DC got a big tax write-off from this. I don't know. Um, Did David Zaslav work at DC when he was a teenager or something? I think he was one of the uh, the uh, woodchucks, right? The junior woodchucks. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, this is mind-boggling because it's like, couldn't they have put it in, like, you know, the back of Warlord or, you know. Yeah. Some, some, one of the other books or DC something. DC Special Series. They shoved all sorts of stuff in that book. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Or, you know, I mean, I know it would have probably, you know, suffered a little bit when it was, why didn't they put this in a digest? Because, yeah. I mean, I feel like this could have, you know, even appealed to, you know, some people in the paper, the, the, you know, because sometimes the digests were kind of over near the paperbacks, you know, at, 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 at bookstore or newsstands and mm-hmm. things. So I think this could have like had a life uh, as a, as a paper, as a, as a digest kind of, disguised in the as a paperback to a point um or or you know tour you know I, come on tour you know what yeah. what did, did you print this and i mean you know they did camelot camelot 3000 uh you know which of course is a sequel to the arthurian legend mm-hmm. i mean you know dc could have after the success of that or maybe while they were waiting for Brian Ballin to finish drawing the freaking thing, <laughs> they could have put it out in between issues seven and eight or whatever that took 14 years to come out or something, you know, uh, you know, and market this. Hey, you want to know how this all began? Then read this, you know, or something. <laughs> it just seems unbelievable that it would get so far along in the production line that they would run an ad for it. And yeah. then scrap it. That, that's very rare that they actually take the time to put together an ad and promote it when it wasn't. I mean, obviously it wasn't finished when they did it, but that that uh, they would they would then ditch it. And the you know Nestor Redondo is the the work is absolutely amazing. A lot of those guys, uh, a lot of those, some of them like the, the the Filipino artists. You know, they weren't superhero guys as much. They liked yeah. drawing adventure strips and they like, you know, he did great work on Rima the Jungle Girl and they did a lot of work at like Warren. And so you could see this is the kind of thing he really probably could sink his teeth into. And, you know, you know, it's not like he had to pay a licensing fee. It's King Arthur. Anybody can do it. It yeah. Again, there there has to be some piece to the story that we don't know. And because Joe Orlando is no longer with with us, and I'm sure Jerry doesn't remember, uh, we'll we'll hear from him actually briefly uh, later on in the show. You know, there's nobody to ask like what what really happened because that just doesn't make sense that you would get even fifty percent of a job completed and then say we'll just take the loss on it. That just 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 makes no sense uh, at all. And like you say, they could have put it anywhere. I mean, man, yeah, fine. You don't want to do a treasury. Put it in a digest. Put it in just public. Do serialize it, as you said, in the back of Warlord. Put it. Yeah. You, you you've already paid for the pages. Yeah. You know, it's just such a waste. Now, luckily, some of the pages have gotten out over time, and they 
various people own them and there are a couple um scans of them and it it's just, it looks it looks sumptuous like it just looks so beautiful and it, it's just such a loss that this thing just never quite got there it's i mean this comic you know it's it's it could have been one of those you know books that dc you know well we're publishing it as a comic but we're really wanting to get it into bookstores mm-hmm. you know yep. a few years later i mean it i mean 10 15 years later uh it could have been something like that you know and it's it, it it's it's a shame that unlike you know like uh Roy Thomas and Dick Giordano got to finish their Dracula adaptation, mm-hmm, right. um, you know, several years back, but it literally sat, you know, unfinished for 30 years. Uh, luckily, they finished it and it's great. It's a very, you know, very well done, very faithful adaptation. And I love it. I've got a hardcover of it. I mean, this, I mean, it's, it's a shame that, you know, they didn't get the band back together to finish this up, you know, at some point. It's kind of surprising given. How, you know, the DC of, of the, uh, Jeanette Kahn, Paul Levitt's years didn't think about, Hey, we could, we could get this into, into bookstores and, you know, and, and do something with this. And, you know, I, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like something they would do, but they didn't, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really, really, really baffling. And so that's a, it's a major loss. And again, it, it was when I was, buying back issues of amazing world dc comics and those are by the way those are those are pricey everybody um and i was you know it was like i was following along like it was a you know like a chapter play because i would just i was reading it and i was kind of buying them in relative order of when they were published and so every month i'm scouring the book i'm like oh there's another mention of it up yeah and it just keeps getting pushed further and further and you're like oh no (laughs) what is happening to this thing so yeah, uh, big loss, big loss. It was like reading Comic Scene magazine and seeing all the comic to movie adaptations in the back that they're like, Spider-Man's in pre-production yeah. with James Cameron at Canon. That's right. No, now it's not. Oh, well, it's, you know, push back, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so sad. All right, so well, let's move across the street metaphorically here to Marvel. And this is something I mentioned in the Spider-Man versus the Hulk at the Winter Olympics episode that I did with Tom Panneries. On the inside back cover, it has a uh, black and white drawing of a bunch of Marvel characters, a bunch of heads. And it promises that the Marvel superheroes will later on be appearing at the Summer Olympics. Very exciting, except it never happened. Uh, they, They decided to cancel that book. Now... Marvel, unlike DC, never throws anything away. And they decide, you know what? We've paid for this material because we've got all these characters. You know, it, it's it's this all-star lineup of our characters fighting each other and getting in all sorts of, you know, crazy Marvel-esque scrapes. So let's repurpose it and change it into something else. And it became the Contest of Champions, the miniseries. And uh, at the time, back when I had my Treasury Comics website, I actually got a email from someone named Keith Richard, who wrote this about it. He said, the Marvel Summer Olympics book was slightly redrawn and rewritten when it became Contest of Champions. I owned a few of the original pages from that series. In one page, the heroes disappeared. In the published version, there was just an empty room where the heroes used to be. But under the whiteout of the original, you could still see the Olympic athletes where the heroes once were. (laughs) <laughs> so I love that Marvel is like, we are not throwing away good pages. We're not doing that. So they turned it into a miniseries, which I, from I remember at the time was a fairly large success. It was kind of a big deal. Now, had you never read it before 
we plan to do this episode, Chris? No, I actually hadn't. And I know some people are, oh, but you know, I remember seeing ads for it, but at the time I was kind of like, I was much more of a DC guy. I bought Spider-Man and I bought Captain America and that's about it. I mean, I bought, you know, and I, I dabbled here and there and others, but there were a lot of characters I didn't know on the cover. Of course, there were a lot of brand new characters uh, in this book. Uh, but uh, so I didn't get it. And, you know, but then I later I learned, you know, kind of, it's kind of like in a lot of ways, it's a precursor to Secret Wars. I mean, the totally. plot's actually really similar. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost exactly the same. It's almost exactly Secret Wars. Uh, it's just, you know, Secret Wars has got more named characters and this has got a, like, you know, a ton of like, I think it's supposed to have every Marvel superhero in it. Plus all these new international characters they added, which I have to wonder, did they read Super Friends? Were they reading Super Friends with the, <laughs> the addition of the international heroes, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting though, that I, you know, I, 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 I guess I probably learned through the treasure through your your site that that it had been intended to be this Olympic comic that you know was then thrown away because of the U.S. pulled out of the Olympics that year or whatever. But it's it's kind of it, it fits so well with the Jim Shooter uh, attitude because Jim Shooter was the guy that came in and like okay we're going to have inventory stories we're never going to ship late if somebody <laughs> comes in late. You literally pull this story out of a drawer and you publish it. I don't care if it screws up an ongoing storyline. <laughs> Everything's going to the, the the damn trains are running on time, you know, basically. Uh, and and that makes perfect sense that he would say, nope, we're not writing this off. We're publishing it. Get some white out. Take the Olympic athletes out. You know? <laughs> Get this thing out the door. We'll call it this. And it's kind of funny because I guess in some ways, you know, I mean, yes, DC had done the crisis crossovers with the JSA and JLA. But as far as like a separate mini series event, this is kind of the first one, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where all the heroes get together, you know, no matter all the different characters from all the universe get together in one, not in somebody's, you know, not in Spider-Man's book, not in the fantastic four, not even in Avengers, but in a separate book, that's an event. So this is, this begat secret wars and crisis and all those. And it, and it's all because the treasury didn't get printed. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, they're transported to another world. Like again, the setup is incredibly uh, similar, you know, and again, it has all these great stars in it. I mean, boy, I mean, you and I are old enough to have used whiteout. I'm sure that whiting out a lot of those pages was a giant pain in the ass for whoever had to do that in the bullpen. Yeah, and that's back before they had the little pins. You had to use the brush. You know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, when Ramita was Ramita Jr. was doing parts of it, and it's like, I kind of feel like there's there's parts of it where the art looks kind of rushed, so I wonder how finished it was. You know, it, it, it doesn't look quite as polished as some stuff from Marvel around this period. So I'm kind of, I'm a little, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think all the crowd scenes would have looked great. I mean, you know, I, I think it, I think it would have, you know, I think it would have presented well in that format. It would have been cool to see all those characters, but I don't feel like the, maybe, I don't know. I, I just, I wasn't, I was a little kind of taken aback that the, the, maybe Pablo Marcos isn't quite the right inker uh, or the styles just didn't mesh, but. I, I wasn't as as in love with the art as I thought I would be. I mean, it's not bad at all. It's it's you know professional, but it's just not quite as polished as you would expect. Um, you know, for what would have been a pretty 
a, a pretty big book, you know, like a yeah. like a special issue to get a lot of publicity and things like that. So it's broken up into chapters, which is very kind of gives it that that's very treasury ish. You know, this thing of like chapter four. Now it's Daredevil and Iron Fist and chapter five and stuff like that. So I totally can imagine what it would have right, you know, looking at it at that size. And, you know, it's just it's it's such a weird thing that we have the the Winter Olympics one, not the Summer Olympics one. Again, I know there was because there was external events in the world that caused that. But I just I love that just back to back DC was willing to chuck these beautiful pages by Nestor Redondo and Marvel has this kind of maybe, I don't, I don't want to say half-assed. That's, that's a little unfair, but like, you know, certainly a much more commercial kind of thing of like, let's just come up with a reason to have all of our heroes. And we're like, we're reusing those pages. Damn it. We are (laughs) dig them out of the drawer. We are not wasting anything. It's like, yeah, well, that's that's probably a reason why Marvel overtook DC. In the, in the comic book sales and profits, because they're like we are squeezing the turnip dry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one thing that I was really surprised about was the bio pages in the back. This has to be the genesis of Ohat Move. Uh, oh, interesting. I, mean, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because this is pre Ohat Move, and I mean, it's it's a listing of every Marvel hero and like a basic backstory of them, first appearance. You've got headshots of a lot of them, you know, in each issue. And I mean, it even goes into like deceased and active and like the last. And Mark Gruenwald helped, you know, put this thing together, helped write the plot. So I, I, I feel like his fingerprints are all over this thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, Siskoid, uh, you know, I think, I, you know, maybe he should, maybe he should have the, uh, the hot the the hot squad take a look at these pages and and see what they think or something. I don't know because Grandmaster, I, yeah. hot or not. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, inactive superheroes on a roll of the, the deceased in 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 uh, issue number three. Quasi heroes. I mean, that's even something I don't think a lot move went through. But uh, it, it's kind of it's like, oh, that's where this comes from. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how that happened. But yeah, uh, and yeah. you know they got the whole death thing, which you know Thanos isn't in here, but death is. So I thought you know I guess Thanos was dead around this time, right? He was. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'd been turned to a statue or something. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know, it's a weird, again, I, I remember that back cover ad and being one of those like, where, where was this thing? Why didn't I, yeah. why couldn't I, I never saw this? Why didn't they ever publish it? I didn't realize, okay, yeah, they just re, they just reused it. So, you know, they got, then that's Marvel. I, I'm glad they got some use out of it. And as you say, I'm sure that it, at the very least it begat Secret Wars and that became a, company change industry changing success so yes that's all because uh jimmy carter pulled us out of the summer the summer olympics yeah so uh so okay so let's go back to dc and this one this is the one that causes the pain in my soul uh <laughs> this book the story is basically the the omnibus title for all three issues is called when a world dies screaming and it was originally an all new Justice League of America treasury written by Jerry Conway and drawn by Rich Buckler. And once again, DC decided we don't want to do original treasuries anymore. So we're scrapping this and they simply buried the material until a couple of years later when they decided to reuse it in Justice League of America numbers 210 through 212. 
and I remembered, you know, as people that have been listening to us on the network for, for all these years, they know Just League of America, my all-time favorite comic. I never missed an issue. But I remember, I can remember buying it, right, and opening up that that front first page of number 210, and it says, An Untold Tale from the JLA Casebook. And I remember thinking, why are they, why are we doing it? Like, okay, but why are we doing, like, an old story in the middle of, like this run of JLA. Well, that's because they had to come up with a reason why Zatanna and Firestorm are not in the story because when the story was commissioned, they weren't on the team yet. So that's the reason why they're in there. And this is a, to me, of all the ones we're going to talk about, this is the biggest loss because both Jerry Conway and especially Rich Buckler, they knew the format they were working in. They were doing an Irwin Allen-sized widescreen JLA adventure. It, I'm not going to get bogged down in the plot. It's basically just the JLA gets caught between these two warring alien races and a fight to find this element called Element X, which when when removed from the Earth basically means the end of all life on Earth. And it it travels the galaxy it travels the planet it features the phantom stranger as like a member in good standing and all the rest of the justice league of america justice league of america members this thing would have been a masterpiece to read as a treasury because both conway and buckler knew the format and it is so I, much as i love the issues it is such a shame that this got scrapped because I can you can see it what this would have looked like at a larger size. Yeah, I mean this has that it's got that epic feel like Justice League the movie, you know, like It, it sure does, yeah. It 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 does and it and if it, it's not Justice League 200, nothing can be. But <laughs> if Justice League 200 hadn't existed, this would have been a good Justice League 200 as well. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> cuz it's cuz it's that it's that epic. It's as epic of epic Justice League stories. I mean, it really is. And I, I bought two ten and two eleven off the rack. I never found issue two twelve, which sucked. Oh know, no, dreaded newsstand doom. Yeah, and uh, but I mean, even then, I know it said it was a case, you know, but but because I, I, it had everybody in it, and the stakes were so high, and you know, even as a kid, I'm like, wow, this is you know really exciting. You know, this is I could feel the tension. You know, it's like mm-hmm. this is just a regular issue of justice league this is like some i had no idea it was meant to be a treasury i mean i you know obviously but uh you know and i didn't i guess i didn't even think about oh do they do casebook things sometimes i you know i was too young to figure oh this is an inventory story you know uh but but, uh yeah i mean there were things in it like uh at one point the uh reptilian like aliens like they start changing the humans and all the animals on earth into creatures like them and there's this Rich Buckler draws this dog turning into this alien thing in in issue number two eleven that freaked me the crap out. It's like <laughs> kind of scary. Uh, that dog's very aggressive looking, and then it changes into this, and it's just like, oh, I, that uh, you know, it's it's still living in my brain. Uh, it's it's still there. Uh, so yeah, I mean this 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 left quite an impression. And it, I one thing that I gotta say, looking back through it, rereading this. Uh, there's a page, uh, the last issue in 212, there's a splash page that I would love to have seen uh, in a treasury where Superman cuts loose and just punches the crap out of the alien ship 
And it, it reminds me of that great Joe Staten Superman shot from the JSA origin story. Oh, he uh, goes through the, the, the Nazi ships. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it Oh no, it's a bomb. Right. Was, it's the, right? Great treasury. Yeah. It's a bomb. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's a bomb. Yeah. He catches, or I think he takes out a plane and then catches a bomb. If I remember. That's right. it. But that's it. That's it. That's, way, right. it's, that's it's right. Still, he's coming up through. Yeah. And it's like, it's Superman. You know, it's like, it's kind of like that. It's like that same kind of thing. And it's like, it made me think, well, man, the JSA origin would have made a great treasury too. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that would have been a great treasury. But yeah, it's, (laughs) you know, you can see the widescreen. Like, and like we said, Rich Buckler had, you know, done the the Superman versus Shazam, which is just, I mean, it's like widescreen like crazy. You know, it is, it is a massive spectacle. And this, like you said, feels very Irwin Allen. And rereading this, I'm like, I feel like that the, and you, I'm sure we're probably going to say this, but I'll just, I'll probably beat you to it, that the Paul Dini, Alex Ross, JLA, Liberty and Justice feels like this. Yes. It has that same kind of epic, the Justice League has to race to actually save the world type, you know, type story going on. And it's, you know, it's, this one's a little more, you know, sci-fi and, you know, of the, of the, of the time of, you know, Star Wars influence and things like that. But yeah, it's it's got that feel, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a shame. I'm glad it got printed, but it's if it only it could be printed at somebody reprint this at that size. Get on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, seriously, when 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 Rich Buckler drew pissed off Superman, it was genuinely like frightening. There's that yeah. There's that full page where Superman is leading the charge with it's him, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Black Canary, and he's like Justice Leaguers char, and he looks furious, and you're like, oh my god, I would not want to see that coming at me. Because it's really terrifying. Yeah, Buckler totally understood the assignment. And, you know, once you know that it was it was meant to be a treasury, there's little hints where you go, oh, that, okay, I can see things. Because first of all, the cover to number 210 is by, I think it's Buckler and Giordano. And it's a, it's a poster-ish cover about the story. It's got all the heroes surrounding the, the earth, and the earth looks like it's in trouble. And you're like, okay, that's representing the story. Then in number 212, which, sorry, you couldn't find, Chris, they commissioned... George Perez to do a new cover about this one human that has this element uh, in his genes that it makes him like this going to be the potential savior of the earth and the Justice League has to protect him. So they commissioned a new cover. But number 211 is drawn by Buckler, but it's just a battle scene. There's yeah. no cover copy. It's just, and it's not really a cover. It's just a kind of an action thing. And I think that, and I don't know if they commissioned Buckler to draw that for especially number two to 11, or that is simply a panel that they blew up and made it into a cover because it's just not really a cover. It's just kind of, it looks like a panel, a big panel, but it looks like a panel. It's not, it doesn't represent really anything. It doesn't give you an idea of what the story is. Unlike numbers two ten and two twelve, And in number two twelve, there is no story title. There's, Mm. there's credits, but there's no story title because of course it's, it's all one big story. They didn't yeah. think to title it. So there's no, there's, you know, you're like, oh, they, there's, you know, we're used to that now, you know, of like having stories, having titles, but there isn't any. And I think they just didn't bother because they're like, well, it's, you know, it's part of the the, the three parts. So speaking of um, Jerry Conway, I reached out to Jerry to ask him about this. And I always apologize because I'm asking him about this ridiculously obscure stuff from 40 years ago. You know, the man has written five billion comics and I'm asking him about this thing, you know, but I, I 
did bother him and he was nice enough to answer as opposed to saying, leave me alone. Uh, and I just said, do you remember why it was used when it was used? Like, why then? Why did they decide to use it like five years after it was commissioned? And he said that he honestly he couldn't remember because obviously, again, this is 45 years ago. But but his vague recollection was they didn't want to use it and break it up because they knew it required three parts. So they said at a certain point, he said, I think I got behind on my deadlines and they they just decided at that point, OK, let's get Jerry. Jerry can get caught up on his deadlines and we'll finally slot in these three issues. And that buys us three months. And that's that's his vague recollection of why it ended up being used um, when it was. And as you said, Chris, I'm, I'm glad they eventually use it because it's a great story. It's really mm-hmm. fun. But yeah, but I just they never did the JLA never got an original treasury. They did one, but it's reprints. Just oh, I, I it, oh my god, <laughs> I would have a, a classic JLA story written by Jerry Conway in a treasury format. It might have been like my favorite one of all time if they had actually gone through with this. Oh yeah, I, I mean it. It's definitely it's it's. I mean it's kind of funny, you know. The Legion got a, a brand new one, but the Justice mm-hmm. League didn't. I mean it's kind of. Kind of strange, and that's before the Legion was like mega popular in the eighties, you know. So, uh, I wonder if issue two eleven's cover could have been the back cover of the Treasury, because you know they do that sometimes. They put like a text blurb over top of some action scene. Oh yeah, you're right. I could see that. Yeah, maybe that's what it was going to be, because that would kind of give you more of an idea of like the, you know, because it's got the the league around the. It's thematic about the league over the Earth, like blowing up basically, you know, but. And on the front cover, but then on the back, it's more like what's actually going to go on in the story where they're fighting. A bunch yeah, of aliens, that, you know? yeah, yeah, that's that's that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes total sense that it might, um, that that might be the thing, but yeah, so uh, uh, DC, you're killing me. <laughs> so, uh, okay, um, the last one that we have kind of an, an extensive amount of detail with, and this is uh, much more recent, is a scrapped treasury called Portraits of Villainy. And this was to be done as part of the run of the Alex Ross, Paul Dini, which you just mentioned, Chris, uh, treasuries, except they would be a series of single images of different DC villains as painted by Alex Ross. And on the back, they would feature or maybe maybe opposite, uh, you know, facing opposite the page. They would feature text written in the language of the villain. So if you're getting to Bizarro, I'm guessing it would read like me and Bizarro, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, the reverse Flash and Sinestro and Poison Ivy. And and you'll see some of these again on our on our website. Uh, Alex Ross has you know released a bunch of the sketches of what they looked like. And as you might expect, they're gorgeous. They're simply gorgeous. And uh, I guess DC just felt like it was not. It just didn't have enough oomph as a uh, to to sell, which boggles the mind. It's Alex Ross, uh, but this this is the one idea that, that that didn't get didn't make it across the finish line. Yeah, it just amazes me that they couldn't put this out with the Joker on the cover by Alex Ross and Paul Dini and sell it. Yep, uh, I mean the Joker, uh, the subject of his own solo film. Uh, two Academy Awards went to actors who played the Joker. Mm. I mean, I, it's just insane. You know, it's it's. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. I don't. I don't understand why they didn't go through with this. 
Um, you know, they could have done, you know, posters, trading cards if they did it. Uh, I know they've used the, like, the rough of the Joker, because I think he did, like, a, uh, you know, like a, a preliminary painting of the Joker, I think, that I've seen it used elsewhere, which is like, okay, you didn't even go through with it, but you still use the, <laughs> basically, his sketch, mm-hmm. you know? And so, that I mean, that's kind of insult to injury, and it's a real shame because, you know, in the last few years, Alex Ross has done these great Marvel poster images of like each big character and all their villains. And they've used them as, you know, a, a huge poster. They've done calendars. They've used them as variant covers. Uh, I mean, my, my LCS still has them like on the top row, basically, <laughs> as both a decoration and as, you know, co- copies for sale. Uh, so it, it's, it's just a it's just a cry and shame. Plus the inside of Paul Dini. Uh, to you know, the man who wrote like the greatest uh, Joker episodes of Batman animated series and freaking recreated Mister Freeze um, uh, into an actual character. Uh, so it's it's just, it, 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 I, I this is another one of those decisions I can't understand why in the world they wouldn't do it. And I, I I'm kind of surprised they don't do it now, uh, because I mean you know the Joker and Harley Quinn alone are. You know, <laughs> right? License to print money, yeah. License to print money, yeah. And it's, uh, I know Alex Ross doesn't do a whole lot with DC nowadays. He mostly works with Marvel, uh, which says a lot, honestly, too. Mm. You know, because I think he's much more of a DC guy, even though he kind of got his, you know, big break at Marvel with Marvels, obviously. But uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I could ramble on, but it's just, it makes no sense. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't understand how having Deanie and Ross's name on a project wasn't enough to get it published. I just don't like, really, you're not going to move enough copies for that. I mean, I guess I could understand that as a book, it doesn't really hold together because it's just a series of still images and it's just, and it's not like they're posters that you could pull out of the book and hang up on a wall because nobody's going to do that. You're going to, the, the, you know, the the price of the book's going to be like nine 99 or something. And nobody's going to rip up their book and do that. But so it doesn't have the kind of oomph that it, that the rest of them did because those were stories. But still, I, I would just think Alex Ross wants. I, I would think at a certain point when Alex Ross had his the most amount of juice at DC Comics, him saying, "I want to do X," you think they would have just said, "Okay, here you go." Like we don't even have to really think about this. <laughs> like go yeah. ahead and do it. Um, I mean, I mean, when you know, ten years earlier, Marvel printed comics. Uh, of with nothing but the artwork that Joe Dusko did for those uh, those flare trading cards, mm-hmm. that, you know those painted trading cards, uh, as you know in gal as a gallery book. So what's the difference? I mean, in DC put out gallery books in the nineties. I know this is later, uh, but I mean when it's Alex Ross and Paul Dini, and it's uh, you've already got that. You know you've already went this far into the format. Why not finish it up with this, you know, with the villains and, you know, because uh, there's a lot of people, you know, that love the villains just as much as they love the heroes or more, obviously. And it's which is, I don't know what that says about them, but it, hmm. <laughs> there are. So I, it's that this one I'll never understand. Yeah. So, OK, uh, the other ones uh, that were left to cover, uh, these really are not uh, these next couple of DC ones are really not treasuries that we can verify but using my detective skills and chris's detective skills i think it's safe to say that these 
were going to be or might have been. Bear with us, everybody. Uh, the first one is Sergeant Rock um, at the on uh, in DC Special Series number eighteen, which was a digest, which is a Sergeant Rock collection, a War Comics collection. In the back is a tabletop diorama, except it's printed on digest paper, and it's so it means a it's incredibly tiny because it's a digest and B it's on newsprint, which you couldn't do anything with if you cut it out. Cause it's too weak to stand up, which makes me think <laughs> this was a Sergeant rock treasury that DT at some point decided to scrap and they just shoved it in the digest contents and all, even though you wouldn't, you can't do a tabletop diorama out of a digest newsprint paper. It's like building a, you know, like uh, a paper, like I, 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 that's like building something out of toilet paper. It makes yeah. absolutely no sense. <laughs> like what? It makes no sense. It's a shame because DC never did a Sergeant Rock treasury. They never did a War Comics treasury. So they obviously were thinking about it at some point. But yeah, and there's even an, an ad where they're promoting the action, like is going to leap out on the page at you. And you're like, uh, what? I'm going to make this thing in a newsprint, and it's just going to fall over. The minute even the slightest wind hits it, like, what is that? So to me, I'm like, look, I have no, again, I have no independent verification that was ever really going to be a treasury, but it just it makes sense that that yeah. that's what they planned it for. And and related to that, um, there were Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. He got his own digest in Best of DC Digest number four. It's the only Rudolph digest. They never did another one, and it too in the back has puzzle pages. And the puzzle pages on a digest size are impossible to use. You know, they can't do anything with them. And so that makes me think that DC had at least one more. Well, in fact, I know they had at least one more. We'll talk about that in a second. But they had maybe at least two more Rudolph treasuries kind of on the schedule. And then one of them we'll talk about in a second. And then the other one just got shunted into the digest. And there it was. But again, that's that is totally my supposition. But I'm I the fact that all that bonus material that they would always see in the treasuries is in the digest. To me, that's the giveaway. Yeah. I, I noticed on Mike's amazing world that it says two of those stories were reprinted from the treasury C 50, but two were brand new. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, at least that those content were, were, you know, obviously for treasury because DC put one out, what every, well, sometimes they put more than one out a year because they did the summer one and all that stuff. But so, yeah, it, it, it's, I think they're the, <laughs> you're you're right. They're leaving clues behind that this was yep. that this was indeed a treasury. Yeah. And the other one that is is much more certain was uh, they you know all the Rudolph specials were Christmas specials except for Rudolph's Summer Fun, which uh, Dan Grief Dan Greenfield from Thirteen Dimension dot com and I covered many years ago on the show. It's an original Rudolph treasury. Apparently, there was supposed to be Rudolph's Easter Parade. And it got so far along in production that they commissioned Sheldon Mayer to do a cover for it. And the, the original exists. Um, someone sent it to me. Uh, not obviously not the original artwork, but sent me a scan <laughs> of the cover. And it even has in the notations Rudolph's Easter Parade written in there. So mm. it was, it was another Rudolph treasury, maybe an all original one that I guess DC decided to finally scrap when they realized kids just weren't buying Rudolph comics uh, anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. so both Sergeant Rock and Rudolph. You know, I mean, although Rudolph has no reason to complain, he got more treasuries than anybody else in the DC universe. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and then the one other one is the new gods. There is a single page 
penciled by Jack Kirby, of course, and he's talking about it. It says in the top the greatest comic story of all time, which is typical Jack Kirby, <laughs> you know, uh, bombast. But apparently, at some point, DC was talking about commissioning Kirby to do an all original New Gods Treasury Edition. I have to assume. I think you'll back me up on this, Chris, that that's probably what ended up becoming the Hunter, Hunger Dogs graphic novel. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say it is. Yeah. And I, and knowing Kirby, he probably wanted he wanted what's the biggest format you got? Yeah, you know, of course. <laughs> he did a lot of treasury. He did a lot of original treasuries and his yeah, work he is did. perfect for that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a shame that it didn't come out in that format because it would make perfect sense. Plus, it would have. It would have, it would have kind of like since that, like you know, basically wrapped up the new gods. It would, it would basically, it would be kind of feel like okay, if the series had kept going, maybe they would have ended it in a treasury back in the seventies. You know, yep. so it, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a shame that didn't happen. Can you imagine them reprinting? I, I know the omnibus. I've got the, you know, the, the backbreaking omnibus of all the fourth <laughs> world stuff. But can you imagine like the pact? being reprinted in treasury size. I mean, that, <laughs> holy cow. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been really, really, uh, really amazing. So, uh, so yeah, that's again, another, you know, maybe uh, might've been. And so one last one that we want to talk about back to Marvel. And this is one that I had absolutely no inkling existed until the legendary comics writer, J.M. Demetrius, who's been on various shows on the network here, mentioned it on Twitter where he, just offhandedly mentioned a Captain America treasury edition that he was going to write. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, what? Excuse me. So I wrote JM and I said, can you, what, 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 what does this tweet mean, man? And so he wrote back and this is the story that he gave me. And he says, this was a project that began when I was first getting my foot in the door at Marvel. I would guess around 1979 editor in chief, Jim Shooter, came to me and asked if I'd be up for doing a Cap story in a Treasury Edition format that tied into the upcoming second Captain America TV movie. Chris, <laughs> when you're starting out in the business, the answer to every question is yes, of course. So I went off and came up with a story. I'm sure Shooter had input, writing up a detailed plot, which featured Cap teaming up with the Cap TV actor, Reb Brown, in an adventure with the basic elements of the one that finally saw print, except, you know, it had Red Brown in it. No offense to the actor. It was just a weird premise. Someone at Marvel thought this over and decided that this tie-in wasn't a very good idea, and the plug was pulled on the treasury. But I got paid, and by doing work that pleased Shooter, got my foot a little farther in the door at Marvel. Time passes, and by 1981, I'm a contracted freelancer at Marvel. Jim Salakrup, Jim who was editing the Cat Monthly title, asked me about the detailed, derailed Treasury Edition, wondering if I could toss out the TV movie tie-in and come up with a story that would work in the ongoing book. I went back to the Treasury plot, deleted the Red Brown-related material, did some rewriting and restructuring, and came up with a three-part story that ended up becoming my Captain America debut with Mike Zeck who wasn't involved in the TV movie version. I don't think we ever discussed artists for the treasury. Those three issues became a kind of audition. And as a result, I was hired on as Cap's regular writer, which evolved into a three-year run. And that's the story. Chris, I'm sorry. It's going to be so heartbreaking for you. You came so close to having a red brown Captain America treasury comic. Oh my God. I'm so sad. <laughs> I, uh, and, and, and given that it's like based on Captain America two death too soon, Christopher Lee probably would have been in it too. Yes. Oh no. 
Yes, yes. And we would have got the hang glider, the motorcycle popping out the hang glider. And, ah, oh, yeah, it's just, uh, and I unabashedly love those Captain America movies. I know they're not the greatest, but they're fun and I love them. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, just any kind of tie in with, uh, you know, I know in the Superman books, they had Superman meet the actor that was playing him, you know, and I think his name, what was his name like? It was like a combo of Christopher Reeve and George Reeves, if I remember right. I can't remember. It's like Reed or something. And he would appear in the Superman comics sometimes. So it would have been fun for them to pull, um, you know, pull Red Brown in. And that, and that makes sense because, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel bullpen exists within the Marvel universe and they, they publish the comics, uh, you know, that like the, the, in the impossible man story, uh, in the seventies, you know, like, uh, Roy Thomas and George Perez and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are all in the office talking about the next fantastic four issue. Uh, we can't make it up. We've got to base it on their adventures. So, <laughs> you know, it would have been fun for captain America, the real one quote unquote to bump into red Brown. And it's like, what's with the helmet, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> basically. Uh, so yeah, it's such a shame. I, I really like that. Of course, I love the JMD Mateus Mike Zek run on Cap. Oh, That's what I, brilliant I stuff! In on Cap and first started buying it. It's great. It's wonderful. And I, I got right in with the start of that storyline with the Ameridroid and the guy dressed as Nomad and all that stuff. And so it it would have been it would have been great to see that. Of course, I know Mike Zek wasn't involved at the time, but I would like to even see that story as it is turned into a treasury because he's mm-hmm. got the big Ameridroid in there and it's. It's just a lot of fun. Mike Zek, he's definitely somebody. I would love to see a Mike Zek drawn treasury of anything. Oh, you know? you, oh, you kidding? Oh my God. Yeah. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That it, it's, it, it make it's funny when he says somebody at Marvel decided the tie-in wasn't a good idea. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why did they decide that? <laughs> I don't understand. You know, I mean, because then they could have done a Dr. Strange one and a, you know, like it's so weird to me that the, they thought the TV stuff just wasn't, worth tying into i don't know it's so baffling but yeah that that's heartbreaking that is so heartbreaking it is and it and it makes me realize that you know as much digging as i've done over the years there's still more to hear because i didn't know about this until like six months ago until i just happened to see jam's tweet i was like wait a minute what are you talking about i've never heard about that so who knows what else is out there yeah, it's you know, there's always going to be more mysteries, and so we'll have to do a sequel to this at some point. So absolutely. So, <laughs> well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming back, and thank you for indulging me here with this kind of weird idea of just talking. We're t- literally talking about things that never were, but uh, that is, I think, part of part and parcel of being a comics collector is sort of like the the feeling, you know, knowing oh, we could have gotten this, we could have gotten that, it could have been this other thing, and not not quite. And so, uh, I mean. Just any of these. I would have killed for any of these to exist, especially the JLA one. But uh at least we got to see some of the material. And I'm glad. I've been wanting to do the show for, as I said, for years. So I'm finally gonna, glad I got a chance to do it. So thank you for coming back. Oh, it was a pleasure. And just, just think about it this way. Given the fact that we're talking about comics and the fact that we're being bludgeoned to death with multiverses from every known IP, <laughs> uh, that in some some universe, every one of these happened and they were all treasuries. I love that thought. I love that thought. I, I really do. Uh, yeah, Earth T or Earth Treasury or something. Where the tre- <laughs> the Treasury format is a beloved ongoing format, and you can get them anywhere, right. grocery stores. <laughs> That's where they all. It's everybody's. There are spinner racks built for Treasuries. That's how big they are. So oh. uh, yeah, I'm gonna go live in that world right now. So uh, anyway, uh, Chris, why don't you tell people like what do you have coming up on the network? 
Well, Cindy and I are back on JLUcast. We've actually recorded our first episode back. I don't know when this is dropping. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, we're back there. We're, we're wrapping up uh, season two of JLU. And uh, before we jump into season three, the final season of JLU. Mm. So sad, but uh, it's a fun season. So I'm looking forward, especially getting to that two-part series finale. Woohoo! Oh boy, yeah. I'm looking forward to the show coming back, of course. So uh, thank you all for listening. I want you to stay tuned. I'm going to run some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Mary Marble. Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. Forcing us to record these reviews as a podcast called The Tomb of Ideas. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Call the authorities. Anyone. Tell them we can be found at... Now, now, boys, let's not give too much away. You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, a proud member of the Cinepunks podcast group. See you there, Tomb Believers. <laughs> get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book related podcast why you get the weird warriors podcast of course weird war tales was a 124 issue dc comic book series published from 1971 to 1983 along the way we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like themed comic book from a different title or publisher there are also the rare road warriors episodes where we report on comic related road trips like convention or visiting the homes and grave sites of comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comics creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories, which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo-eating dinosaurs. Haunted chateaus. Time-traveling rats. Zombie robots. Day-walking vampires. Gargoyle armies. And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war no more. And we're back with listener feedback, and these are the comments we got for TreasureCast episode number 85, The Wonder Woman, Spirit of Truth Treasury, with my guest, Wonder Woman herself, Shannon Farnan. First up is a comment from Isamu Hideki Yukinori, who, of course, helped put the show together. He says, great show and discussion for everyone else. Here is Auntie Shannon narrating Wonder Woman's origin. And he provides the YouTube link of Shannon doing just that. 
just absolutely amazing stuff. And once again, thank you, Isamu, for helping put the episode together. Dr. Rancha is such a wonderful show. Love this treasury and hearing from the real Wonder Woman. Discuss it was a pure bonus. Super Captain says, what a fun episode. I can practically hear you smiling during this podcast. Her voice is always in my head whenever I read a Wonder Woman comic. When you mentioned the voice talent on Super Friends, my mind jumped to the ubiquitous Casey Kasem, who seemed everywhere when I was a kid. Robin, Shaggy, Commander Mark on Battle of the Planets. Not to mention his regular gig on American Top 40 Radio uh, and AT10 on TV. Chris Franklin from this very episode says, fantastic discussion. Rob, it was great to hear from Miss Farnan. I can't allow myself to call her Shannon. The fact that she was a real Wonder Woman fan as a kid made me appreciate her performance all the better. When she was replaced during the Superpowers era, it really bothered me. One of the two actresses kind of sounded more like Carol Burnett than Wonder Woman to me. She had some great insights into the character and this book in particular. Good on Isamu for arranging all of this. Brian Chufo says, great, Hera, the original Wonder Woman. I can only hear the words great Hera in the voice of the minimal Shannon Farnan. Bucky749 says, that's awesome that you got the original Wonder Woman on for this episode. The book itself sounds like a wonderful story and other wonderful episodes, pun intended. Ada Boznar says, wow, what a great show. It's amazing that you got Miss Farnan. Like Chris, it feels disrespectful to call her Shannon to participate. I particularly enjoyed hearing about her memories of doing the voice work back in the 1970s and 80s. And it's especially nice to know that the entire crew got along so well. Great job, Rob. Thank you, Ada. Captain Entropy says, Rob, you're a terrific interviewer. Miss Farnan, you are just plain wonderful. I really appreciate your insights. Our dear nephew, Isamu, please keep up the great work. Thank you all. Siskoid from this very network says, nice interview, and I admit you punched me in the feels with the Zoom connection. Yeah, right there with you, Siskoid. Chuck Coletta says, I only just now listened to the episode, and all I can say is bravo. Shannon Farnan's voice is still unmistakable after all these years. I spent most of my childhood being captivated by the Super Friends, and have to have and having her discuss Alex Ross's great treasury was a real treat. Just a few weeks ago, we discussed Wonder Woman in my Superheroes and Culture course at BGSU. I will be providing a link to this episode to my students ASAP. Keep up the great work. Paul Ken from this network says, finally got to listen. Great job with interviewing Shannon. I was really impressed with her attitude towards Wonder Woman. I did not know the Zoom connection, so that was awesome to learn. Thanks for bringing this kind of material to the network, Rob. Shows like this make me proud to be a small part of it. Thank you, Paul. Chuck Dill says, amazing podcast, Rob. Thanks so much for bringing this to us. I've been very much feeling the 50th anniversary of the Super Friends of this year. It's been on my mind a lot, and I was super glad to hear this episode with Shannon. And then finally, Brett Young says, Great show, Rob. The interview with Shannon Farna was a perfect way to cover Alex Ross's treasury. His depiction of Wonder Woman always struck me as the ultimate version of the Super Friends character brought to life. Growing up, I always visualized Wonder Woman as Linda Carter, but her voice was Shannon Farnan. Well, thank you all. And yes, that episode was really, truly special. And uh, I'm glad everybody enjoyed it and really was a, a total blast, as was this episode talking about the treasuries that never were. So big thanks again to Chris Franklin for coming by. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Treasury Cast. Of course, you can find all the back episodes on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. You can find us on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. There you can unlock various awards, one of which is being name-checked on the show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pullier, Brett Young, and Mark Bulbas for their support of Treasury Cast. So that's going to do it. We'll see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. So, uh, well, you're on the clock. This means go. Did you not get that? That's the universal sign. Was I not clear? Oh, for heaven's sakes. What did you make of that? <laughs>